Madison Geraldine Scott, fondly known as Maddie, was born on April 29, 1991. She had a fiery soul with striking green eyes. She had a head full of natural ginger and blonde hair. Maddie was the embodiment of energy and adventure. As the middle child of Eldon and Don Scott's three children, Maddie's siblings and older brother Ben and younger sister Georgia were her constant companions. At a young age, Maddie begins to pave her way through life. She was a heavy-duty mechanic at MBG Logging. Working elbow-to-elbow with her father, she was never one to shy away from a challenge. Maddie was not all adrenaline. Beneath her resilient and daring exterior, she had a heart brimming with compassion and kindness. She was always ready to lend a hand and always willing to help anybody in need. So the story begins on a typical spring day in Vanderhoof, British Columbia. On May 27, 2011, Maddie Scott and her friend Jordy Bulldog were preparing for an anticipated night of revelry. Their destination was a birthday party at Hogsback Lake, a site known for its serene beauty and located about 25 kilometers southeast of Vanderhoof. The duo eagerly packed Maddie's white Ford F-150 pickup truck with camping gear and it was like they were just looking for an exciting kind of last minute getaway, a little bit of camping, a little bit of drinking and partying. As they approach Hogsback Lake, there would have been the sun setting and music and people partying in the background. And Hogsback Lake is serene and remote. It's around 25 kilometers southeast of Vanderhoof. It's encircled by dense forest and the campsite is popular among locals. So. At this remote area, the party gets underway. Jordy starts to feel unwell. And at some point during the night, there's quite a few people at this party. I think there was, I want to say close to 50 people. As the night wears on, Jordy starts to feel unwell and she wants to leave. But Maddie wants to stay and party. So Maddie does exactly that. She stays and they have their tent already set up. This is nothing too crazy. It's not something I would recommend anybody do splitting up like that for safety, but like teenagers are teenagers and looking at the stuff I did growing up, that's, this is nothing that surprises me. Jordy though, leaving the party and driving back through the British Columbia wilderness is unaware that this would be the last time that she would see Maddie. The last known interactions with Maddie were between 3 and 4 a.m. on May 28, 2011. At the time of her disappearance, Maddie is just 20 years old. Evening descends into night and the party's in full swing. Like I mentioned, it's about 50 people. Party goers were a mixture of friends, acquaintances, and people from a wider community who had just heard about the different celebrations. So the music is filled with air and laughter. Yeah, this is a typical Canadian party. So Maddie mingles with the crowd and enjoys her night and everything seems to be copacetic as Jordy leaves. And on the morning of May 28th, Hogsback Lake was a far cry from the party the night before. Tents stood in solitude. Maddie, who decided to stay back and camp after a friend Jordy left due to sickness, was anticipated among the handful of overnight campers. Her two-person tent was stationed not far from her white pickup truck. But as daylight broke, something seemed off. Anxiety stirred. Nobody could figure out where she was. 
the typically vibrant and lovely young woman was just completely unaccounted for. Like, I don't know what they initially suspected, but I imagine there was definitely a feeling of dread as her friends look at the campsite and her belongings are discovered scattered around the locked truck. Her sleeping bag and personal items stocked with cooler wine and beer and her purse, all that stuff is still there. So she's just gone, but her stuff's there. I think at one point there might have been some controversy about whether her tent was knocked over or not, but I couldn't find a clear enough answer myself, or I'm just forgetting as I'm recording, which is equally likely. She hasn't taken any of her stuff. So maybe at this point her friends are thinking that maybe she met a guy. She was talking to a guy at the party and it's possible that she went off with somebody, but regardless, she's unaccounted for and they're definitely starting to freak out. There was no sign of Maddie anywhere around the campsite. Search begins just with her friends and the police do get involved. Right away, it's not clear whether or not it's foul play is suspected. So the immediate search initiated by her friends is slowly expanded from just the campground to the surrounding area then to the lake thinking could she have drowned so on may 28th the rcmp took the matter seriously right away the rcmp used dogs they established search grids there was air surges and they searched the entire area and they even brought in divers to search hogs back lake as time drew on but there was not even a remote sign of maddie and the exhaustive efforts of the RCMP was frustratingly fruitless. There was nothing to be found. And other than the fact that her personal belongings were there, almost was speculated by some, but I think at the time that she may have just decided to get up and leave her life. However, anybody close to Maddie would argue strongly against that from what I can see. So now the police are in agreement and thinking this doesn't seem like a runaway case of a 20 year old girl that was doing completely fine just taken off so early on in the investigation it focuses on maddie's belongings and her pickup truck is where the search kind of starts we've got sleeping bags toiletries jewelry a hatchet some cooler with wine and beer a gas can with some gasoline motorbike boots, some clothes, her purse, and an expensive camera. Nothing's really broken, like things are in a little bit of disarray. RCMP officers, including a team of investigators from neighboring jurisdictions, comb through the campsite for evidence. There's forensics conducted. A lot of stuff is cataloged and saved in case they can get make use of it at later dates. One of the key things though to note is that investigators delved into Maddie's digital footprint, examining her text, texting and interactions leading up to her disappearance. They discovered that Maddie had been texting her father as late as 11.30 p.m. on Friday, May 27, 2011. The last known activity is actually at 12.30 a.m. on May 28th. So this is the last communication. It's the night of the party and it's from a young man known to her. However, there's no records that that indicated her safety's in jeopardy or like that she's being held hostage. The only thing they know is Maddie is nowhere to be found. 
So as part of their efforts, law enforcement interviews a bunch of individuals who were at that party and some that were confirmed to have interacted with Maddie. They sought to establish a timeline of events and gather information that could help shed light on her disappearance. Polygraph tests were administered to many and it's not quite clear how many participated to me, but some of the statements, the search for Maddie in the statements doesn't seem to reveal any like data to really help the police other than to make them question the motives, I guess, probably of some of the people involved or who are at the party. But there's a lot of reasons for people not wanting to tell the truth. There's a lot of other illegal activities that could have been going on at the party. People selling drugs, just the first thing to come to mind. That's There's also people just don't want to get involved if they're engaged in criminal activity with an investigation, just because it's bad for business for them to have any involvement with the police. The investigation goes back to also Maddie's friends and Jordy Balduke is thoroughly examined because of the circumstances where they were supposed to be together and Jordy leaves and now her friend is missing. But they, like, they're subjected to multiple polygraph tests and from what I can see, there's no real evidence linking them. There you know, might've been some interpersonal drama kind of stuff from what I can see, but like you'll see people go down those roads on the internet and to me it's just stupid because I don't know what people at that age, around 20 anyhow, that aren't chirping some kind of drama between friendships at some point, but show me the person and I'll be impressed. But maybe Amish people, I don't know. So one thing to note that Maddie had recently upgraded her iPhone prior to the camping trip. And it just, it's just important to note because this could explain why her sudden silence didn't trigger concern amongst her loved one or friends because there was a little bit of question about I guess they didn't really freak out that much when Maddie was missing her friend Jordy especially so it's just scrutinizing behavior it's not evidence and to me it doesn't really suggest anything than scared kids the absence of conclusive evidence is really just that. It's dense force, it's a rugged train, and it's a huge question mark. Definitely reeks of foul play. So the police keep the investigation going. The statements don't lead them anywhere, at least publicly. The text messages suggest that she was alive and well up to 12th at night. She's got some interactions with people at the party, and a party of 50 people are all providing little to no information as to what might have happened in the timeline from later on in the morning when her friend Jordy leaves at three and when they return early that morning that she seemingly vanishes into thin air because the dogs can't find her and nobody seems to have seen her. So it's a really odd case. It's really perplexing and it's tragic. So a lot of theories pop up on the internet that I've seen and I'll just go through some of them. First one being that Maddie ran away. And I'll just leave it at that. Seems highly unlikely. Whether it was someone that Maddie encountered at the party, someone in her social circle, her friends, family. Sorry, I don't think family was looked at, but you never know. 
investigators extensively interviewed all the individuals and all I can say is they haven't arrested somebody yet. Another theory posts that Maddie has fallen victim to a stranger abduction. So given the remote location of Hogsback Lake, it's plausible that an unknown individual in the area could have either targeted Maddie or targeted the area. That's not inconceivable. And then you have accidental misadventure or like nature. Maybe she's wandered off, hurt her, hit her head. Wildlife attack, I think, was put forward. Again, these are all things that don't make a ton of sense just because of the footprints that were erased. One thing that is brought up is there is a connection to the Highway of Tears. So I'll explain what that is. The Highway of Tears is a bleak 720 kilometer stretch of Highway 16 between Prince George and Prince Rupert, British Columbia. This desolate highway has been thrust into the international spotlight due to an alarming series of unsolved murders and disappearances that began as far back as the 1970s. Some claims suggest that the dreadful events go even further back in time. The victims, primarily young indigenous women, disappear under mysterious circumstances. A lot of them are hitchhiking and that's what happens. The name Highway of Tears emerges as a reminder of the haunting sorrow and the haunting feelings experienced by the families and communities who lost their daughters, sisters, and mothers along the highway. However, the number of victims is heavily disputed. I think the RCMP have acknowledged is around 20. The vast geographical area though, coupled with the lack of physical and human resources in the area is like crime analytics and tracking is next is yeah like it's just not it's not the same it's not doable the way you would have in a metropolitan area unfortunately there is a lot of questions about the highway tiers if there was a number of maybe serial killers operating in that area during those years one though that we're going to be talking about that we've gone over quite a bit in other episodes is back to israel keys he lived a few hundred miles from the highway of tears and also i think within 600 kilometers or miles of madison scott's disappearance and madison scott's disappearance falls into an area when he was definitely active and into a small window of time where his whereabouts are unaccounted for though it's likely he was in anchorage and unlikely it's really not clear if he was involved in maddie's disappearance it seems definitely more likely given the activities from the party it's related to that however we will talk about it because it's truly chilling one and again i just can't see how keys doesn't have victims in british columbia and along that highway of tears then we will get into some of the missing and murdered indigenous women of northwestern canada and maybe no not maybe we will at some point other for sure across canada because there's a lot of unfortunate cases unfortunately back to keys mo like one thing that we've talked about before just in case you haven't tuned in i'm gonna run through a quick description of who this guy is israel keys who is dead now he is an infamous american serial killer who cast a long and horrifying shadow across multiple american states and potentially into canada also around like right from alaska down to the east coast he's was basically on crime sprees and killing journeys to take people out of this world to appease his own sick needs. 
And the way he would go about business does line up with the way Maddie would have disappeared, more particularly how like he had this chilling way of saying that most of the victims of his crimes that there was they were never even labeled as homicide because police never even found the bodies so we're going to move on key's methodology was what sets him apart from most serial killers he was indiscriminate in choosing his victims paying no mind to their age or gender he would kill and rape his victims and didn't matter male or woman one thing he would do is he'd be bury like kill kits years in advance of his crimes so he would like he had all over the country and possibly all over north america he would have these sites and kits picked out years in advance of his crime so that there was no tie of him in the area and he would carry out his crimes he'd be bury buckets of like with the guns cash from he would rob banks to finance his crimes he'd bury cash guns whatever stuff he needed to commit the crimes and then he would return years later with these complex travel plans where he's flying into one side of the country, renting a car in another state, driving somewhere else, staying in a hotel. It gets completely under the radar for years and killing all over the United States and possibly Canada. He admits to traveling throughout British Columbia and even being in Montreal. So Keyes killed himself, I think in 2000, it was yeah, 2012. So it would have been eight months, about a year after Maddie's disappearance. And during the time that he was being interrogated by the FBI, he chillingly refers to when asked if he had killed anyone in Canada, because it was confirmed at the time he had been into Canada. If he killed anyone, his reply was, Canadians don't count. So I think he's got victims and we're going to look at the links here. To begin, the date of Maddie's disappearance on May 28, 2011 falls within an active period of Key's documented criminal history. This is one of the primary factors that's behind the internet theories around Key's involvement. The geographical overlay is slightly more complex. Maddie vanished from Hogsback Lake near Vanderhoof, British Columbia, an area within a reasonable distance from the Highway of Tears. Keys known to travel far distance for his crimes is only a few hundred miles from that location. His presence in Western Canada is confirmed. Keyes particularly is known to target campsites, boat launches, and areas adjacent to remote waterways. One of the key things in choosing his victims is he likes to choose people with smaller body weight. And one thing, though, that goes against him being involved also is that he didn't take any of Maddie's personal belongings or vehicle, which is something that Kisa did in his other crimes. But also, if you start to learn a lot about Key's history, check out some of our other episodes. This guy was all over the map, so it's really hard to say. That was part of what kind of, I think, let him fly under the radar was that it was so hard to establish a pattern because he just did not seem to have a clear cut mo motivation or clear cut. Sorry, that's not true. He had a clear cut motivation to kill, but it wasn't the way he did it was different every time. Other than he did it in areas that were really hard to be for him to be detected and chose victims in scenarios based upon 
there being no witnesses at like campsites. He talks about campsites specifically. He uses fishing and hunting, specifically fishing activities also to cover up his tracks. There would be some big hurdles for Keys, obviously, to get to overcome with this case. Nabel, if you look at him as the primary suspect, one of the things, though, I thought about mentioning is that Keys could Keys blend it into the party. And the thing I want to point out is that Keys openly admitted during his interrogations with the FBI on multiple occasions, he would put on like costumes and blend in with populations, usually homeless crowds to, yeah, to blend into the crowds and be their stock victims for future. Yeah, that's how he would stalk as someone's unnamed or still suspected victims. I didn't mention earlier, but yeah, Keys is suspected of a lot of unsolved murders. Yeah. So in this case, again, it's not Maddie's disappearance in any way that suggests that it's Keys. It's where and how she disappeared. She disappeared in a remote area. She disappeared without a trace or explanation. And it just happens to be during an active time that the serial killer was not that far off in the area. And when you're talking about five, 600 miles for Keys, that's nothing. This guy, he would drive thousands of miles. It would nonstop to go and murder somebody. And he's done it and it's documented on the FBI's website. So unfortunately, this guy's got a ton of unknown victims uh, potentially out there, and Maddie could be one of them. Though it seems more likely from everything that I've read, it's somebody that was at or related to that party that night. But the investigation is far from over. So what's important to know that while most of the case theories around Maddie Scott's disappearance are speculative, her being gone from her family is very real. And like any missing people's cases, it's just important to remember that a lot of what I'm summarizing is stuff that I found on the internet. I'm recording just as some of this is, the police are mentioning they've just found her body near the area at a rural property. So I'm hoping this is going to finally lead the investigators to the answers and the family to the answers they've been looking for and that they find the person responsible. I hope it isn't Israel Keys. I hope it isn't a serial killer just for the fact that, especially in Keys' case, like he's dead. And if it was him, it's more likely the case will remain unanswered for a long time. However, if it was somebody at that party, <laughs> your days are numbered. I can guarantee it with the news that just came out that you won't be around at least walking free much longer. And I hope you are put through the criminal justice system and have to be held accountable for your actions. Please click or follow on our podcast. Please give us any feedback. Maybe even leave us a comment if you're really bored. Thank you. Maddie's body was found on a rural property where a search warrant was executed on the east side of Vanderhoof. The area is secured by the RCMP and it will be as long as required, but they have confirmed that her remains have been found and 
There have been no arrests made, but they are not ruling out foul play. And based on all these facts and seeing that they've made this discovery, it sounds like we might finally get some closure to this case. 